0: Well hey everyone, welcome to episode 146 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. This week's episode features an incredible aerial and commercial photographer, Toby Harriman. Well he just calls himself an artist, so don't let those labels of commercial and aerial get the best of you. Okay, that joke will make more sense after you listen. Alright, well Toby and I covered some really cool topics this week, including how he went from graphic web design to photography, choosing a direction in photography, the business of photography, mental health as it relates to being a full-time photographer, labels for types of artists, which was a lot of fun, uh, Instagram's latest attempt at censorship for digital artists, uh, the ethics and considerations around photo staging, and his amazing Myanmar project. You really got to check it out. Uh, over on Patreon this week, Toby and I talk all about the evolution of photography platforms and how he feels like they really just need to provide some monetary value for us. Head over to patreon.com fstop and listen for more information on how you can support the podcast and get bonus content at the same time. Also, be sure to join in the conversation about each podcast episode over on Nature Photographers Network or NPN. Not only is NPN the best place to get critiques on your landscape and nature photography, it is also home to some of the most informative, thought-provoking, and inspiring articles on landscape photography that are on the internet. I highly recommend you become a member today. Listeners can get a 60-day free trial by following the link in the episode notes. Okay, let's get to the show. Awesome, man. Well, Toby Harriman, it's awesome to have you on the podcast finally.
1: Yeah, no, uh, it's been a a while. Um, I know we had to cancel once, so I'm definitely excited to finally uh, find the time uh, in in both our schedules to make this work, and definitely looking forward to uh, chatting with you.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you remember this or not, but we actually ran into each other randomly on the side of a hill near Courthouse Mountain in near Ridgeway like 20 gosh 2014 I want to say
1: something in there I I think I still probably have your uh, lens hood um (laughs) from that day
0: you found it I think I think I
1: told you and then you were like oh don't worry about it like I ordered another one or something I can't remember but I think I have Uh oh I don't know where it is now but I I I remember I remember finding a lens hood and you were like that was mine
0: (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, re- I lost the 70 to 200 Nikon lens hood. <laughs> I don't even own Nikon anymore, but I was like, that was like a $70 replacement.
1: <laughs> was it really? Oh, you should have told,
0: uh, or maybe,
1: oh, well, too late now, I guess.
0: But... <laughs> too late. It's all good. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. We were like, and what was funny about that is we were, I was like not even on a trail, like just randomly like up in some scrub oak, and you're like, "Oh, hey, how's it going? Yeah
1: yeah, you had your tent set up. You were with your kid, and I think I was just like looking for a good viewpoint and I, I don't remember, yeah, I think we just like kind of locked eyes and you were like, ah, you look familiar, and then we just started chatting, so right it's kind of the beauty yeah. of the the yeah. photo world is everyone kind of kind of knows each other, kind of doesn't or kind of recognizes each other, but so some right. some some photographers you just don't even know what they look like because you just know what their photos look like. So
0: it's always interesting. Right, <laughs> it is interesting. <laughs> or sometimes you can like recognize someone based on their like their voice if they're you know like Sean Bagshaw. Like if he had a bag over his head and he was talking, I'd be like, "That's Sean Beck,"
1: <laughs> <laughs> or their gear, or like their bag, or like you'll recognize something that they have or talk about, and you're just like, "Hmm, f-stop," and you'll start like putting the pieces together of like, right, like everything that they have and have like interviewed or like reviewed, you can kind of pick it that way. It's funny,
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, for people that maybe aren't familiar with you and your work, uh, maybe just kind of introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about who you are, and I'd love to hear a little bit about uh, how you got into photography.
1: Um, yeah, so my name is Toby Harriman, and uh, right now I consider myself a kind of aerial photojournalistic, uh, with like landscape photographer and videographer. My niche, I'd say, is aerial. I love doing anything from drones, flying in helicopters, flying out of planes, um, and just kind of getting those different perspectives that, uh, you know, that are kind of away from, you know, your feet and tripod life. But um, I got started. How long have
0: you been doing the the aerial thing? Um,
1: Back in 2013, I got started. My buddy Nick Cahill, I remember, asked me to go on a flight. And I was always like, it was at the top of my list I was following some people in other places Hawaii and you know they uh I think I just really wanted to do that in San Francisco I was just you know shooting all the time and I just really needed to find some different angles of all these things and I just always had these goals to get like every angle of the Golden Gate Bridge and (laughs) you know it was just and then once I flew once and I was just hooked, and then I ended up right. like investing to go fly again, and just like I wanted to make that my career, and so I kind of put some put some self investment into it, just so I could kind of create a little portfolio out of it or a film, and just kind of start marketing that and marketing what I do, and you know, it kind of snowballed from there, and um, you know, that was back in 2013, maybe even 12, Um, and then it was 2013. I got you know my first big aerial job. And, and I uh, just, yeah, I mean, I, ever since I'm just literally hooked, like, like, I, I sometimes <laughs> don't even like shooting if I'm not flying. It's kind of bad, but but I mean,
0: I've, I've done like two helicopter flights and I totally understand why. I mean, it's exhilarating.
1: Yeah, it's, I prefer like, you're, being up there than I love drones, but like, I feel less in control sort of (laughs) but that's interesting but i love kind of hanging out of open door helicopters and just like interacting with pilots pilots are just like i've grown to just like think are the coolest people they just like they really (laughs) they really love what they do just because you know you don't you can't just be a pilot without going through you know years of training and spending the money so it's like you know if, if you're a pilot you you love it and and they love their jobs and they love just being a part of it too especially you know when they're getting these photo jobs like flights yeah you know it's sometimes unique flights for them because it's like can we go over there and they're like oh i've never done that and and then like (laughs) and then you kind of see them get excited because it's not that like typical tour route or they're not training somebody um but uh i got started um i actually started uh kind of getting into it in high school but I wasn't like fully under like I got my first kind of digital camera and probably yeah high, it, it was high school and I was taking some photo classes and you know it was more based around film like they really wanted you to use film then and I was kind of that rebel that was like I'm gonna do digital and like work in photoshop <laughs> and like I still remember the teacher like you know they're like all right if you're gonna do digital you have to turn in like you know, four photos, not two or something like you had to do more. <laughs> and I was like, that doesn't make any sense, but like, sure. I, I I love it. So like, what all right, I'll turn in more. And, and I was just always that like rebel person of like, eh, I don't need to learn the settings or do all that. I just kind of just went and like, and I'm still bad about that. Like I'm trying to get better about just like learning everything about it, but I was always kind of the type that would rather just go do it and learn later <laughs> And I think
0: that's (laughs) That's awesome. though.
1: (laughs) I think that's the artist in me. Um, Uh After high school, I actually went to the Academy of Art University in San Francisco and studied web design, new media. Um, And a lot of our projects were, you know, if if we were doing like a website, you know, we, we would always need to use original photography and you know for me I I got excited with that because I'd always go out and like I was just I started scouring the city and like I was getting into Flickr and learning long exposures and like you know following some of like what I call the OG photographers of like the Flickr days and like trying to like you know there was like Patrick Smith and like Jim Patterson and Josh Cripps and you know like, like, like those were the people that I followed back then on Flickr and like you know like I know people would think differently of this now, like, you know, like copying people, but I was always the type that, you know, and I'm still am like, you know, you, you that's how you learn. It's like, and I went out there and I'd like, so I'd go shoot and try long exposures. I, I think I was doing some that were like an hour long. I didn't know what I was doing. And I'd take like an hour long exposure with like a 10 stop, like, you know, after sunset and then like, I would. Right. And, you know, I'd kind of get something kind of not, but then I'd go back and then I'd know what to research or, or I would try to get the same shot as like, like Jim and Josh, like down on the coast somewhere. And like, Oh, if I could get like a similar seascape, then I know I'm getting like on the right track. And like, you kind of have to learn that to know like which direction you want to head as an artist and, you know, Flickr, mm-hmm. Flickr had all that like exif data available. And, and, and so it really helped. Like I was just like studying the settings in, in that sense. And, uh, I just got like hooked on all that and I started, you know, building my sites in school around the photo world. Like, I think, you know, like one of the projects, you know, people would build a site and like, I built, I think I built like a photo sharing, like website that I, and, and so I could use all my photos and like, um, that's cool. And so I was kind of just headed in that direction and I started getting, I think Google plus came around that time and I right. ju- I jumped on that train and I was like, the young you know underage kid going to these like photo walks with these older people and like picking right. picking everyone's brain as much as i could just to learn as much as i could um and then it, it was like it was really cool to be a part of that like that time because i don't think we have it in the same way i know like instagram I know. It, like i know people still do it but it's just a totally different vibe with the photo industry um
0: well, what was, what was interesting about Google plus is um, I feel like everyone I know that kind of hitched their wagon to Google plus and put any work into it became big, you know, like, I don't know what, it, I mean, I know like if you found a way to get connected with like Brian Matisse who worked at Google and then he'd feature photos and you'd get on the you well, know, like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like, like if you could find a way to, to make it big on Google plus, like, people f- figured out who you were like pretty quick. And it was, I don't know, it was just interesting to see that happen. It, it
1: really was. It was, it was a fascinating time. Um, and I think that's just the nature of the people who really had the drive to want to be in it. Like regardless, I kind of feel like regardless of what platform was out there, those, you know, the people who really, really want to do it are going to do it and put the time into it. And
0: at, for sure, that, for sure. at,
1: at that time, that's where, it was Google. It was all about Google Plus. So whoever really put the time into it, you know, kind of made an impact and got big. I think, I think I got on the suggested user list like right as it was, it was dying. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so like, and, and, and then I grew then and then it just like faded off. But like, I, I mean, everyone was kind of fading off and realizing they could go their different ways. And Instagram just like was shooting up into the sky and, everyone is moving over to that and then now it's just like all that and there was a little bit of the 500 px world but i don't know if right. i even want to go into that conversation today um <laughs> <laughs> i
0: know I, I know i don't no that's a no nah, yeah
1: that's, that's a dead horse <laughs> we don't
0: For need to, sure, we don't
1: need we don't need to beat that dead horse but um
0: well earlier you said um that Flickr kind of helped you kind of choose a direction early on like what, what what was that like for you kind of figuring out what direction you wanted to go as a photographer
1: um well I don't know if it necessarily helped choose what direction I think I just wanted to start being a photographer just with school I was always shooting my own stuff for my websites and And then like, as I kind of grew through, like I was using the face, like face, like my Facebook page was decent then, not so much Mm -hmm. anymore. And like, most people weren't using, using Facebook. I still remember like some people who are really big now, like asking me how I was doing everything back then. And then just like, it's so, it's awesome to see how far they all took it. Um, and I, I wish I, I wish I excelled to that meet, like that same path but you know deep down i kind of feel like maybe i have in different ways just uh but i was just like i just kind of started getting work and i started getting stuff like while i was in school and like and like licensing stuff and i just like you know i like i have a very business minded brain where i you know where i want to make my passion my career so i'm always you know thinking about that and not like just giving it away or i wasn't just like um you know, I was always trying to sell myself like that. And coming from the web world, I was able to, you know, build my website pretty early on and kind of go in those routes and, and kind of, you know, build my platform and my name for myself. And then I just got to a point in school where I think I had like two more years left to get my, you know, like bachelor's of fine arts, but I was like already good on my associates of arts degree. And I just kind of took that and just left because I just knew. I was like, you know, I'm not going to do web design as a career. I'm going to be a photographer. And I just took the degree, got out early, saved the money, and really just dove right into the deep end. And that's kind of what I did ever since. Um, I did take like one little internship at a company that was kind of in the photo space. Uh, it was called Stipple. I don't um, actually oh, worked... I
0: remember. I remember Stipple. <laughs> yeah,
1: so I was interning there for a little bit working with Casey McAllister and Tony. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, then I left that and was like back full time for a while. And then, you know, like n- n- nothing has ever been like fully consistent for me. So like I even took a job, um, at Lytro for, oh, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. So then that, like, uh, that was like 2000, oh, 16, heck, I, I don't
0: 15. No, it may have been 13 as well. Like oh, wow. Okay.
1: 12, 13 as well. And then I almost think 15, but I feel like it was 13. Yeah. Um, for
0: people that don't know, Lytro was like a camera that had like tons of sensors on it so that when you took a photo, it had tons of different depth of field recorded. Right. Yeah, Am I getting that yeah. right?
1: It's to a point. So they actually mismarketed it a little bit. Like it was all about so that you could refocus after the fact at
0: first. Right.
1: Um, so like, you know, because of the sensor, you know, what their, their sensor was basically, it had like 200 little, like 200,000 little lenses in the sensor. So it's able to capture light, um, from every one of those. So like every photo was actually 3d to a point. And we had like 3d TVs, um, at work, but no one else did. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, the refocusing thing was cool, but like It was also like 3D and there was all these other things you could do. And but everyone kind of thought it was a gimmick and like and it had a lot of issues. Like when they came out with the new camera, like the software was just so computer heavy that like no one really had a computer that could handle processing these like these light field images or living images that that we call them. Um, And that's when, like, I was there for the Alum, which was their second camera that they came out with, trying to kind of go after the the pro market versus their first one, which we called Butterstick. It was that little Butterstick-looking camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, at, like as I always said, like when I worked there, I was like, you know, the technology and the engineers are incredible. Um, Like what they've invented is amazing, but you know, it's just not ready for like to sell publicly. And like, I, I think I, I had meetings with like the CEO trying to tell them this. They ended up, I ended up leaving just cause I ended up getting like, the second I took the job there, I ended up getting my biggest freelance gig. Um, I remember I was like driving up there like a week after I started working there and I got a call and I was like, you know, driving an hour and a half each way to get to work. Huh. And so I had, so I had lots of time on my drives for, you know, calls like that. And I had a call with, this company and you know won this big aerial job for sf and was trying to manage everything and i was working long hours at Lytro. i think i worked you know overtime double time to the point where they stopped me because we were editing all the initial launch images for the Illum. um and i was like that person i was the image editor that was my job there um, oh, wow. and we were I, like, like I was using code to edit these images. I was using like five different programs to edit these limited, like living images. It was crazy. And then I was like painting debt maps, like gray layers to fix, um, you know, some of the errors that would happen to make them work better. Cause like, you know, th- like the hair wasn't separate, like, you know, the, the living image thought the hair was in the background, not on the head. So like it would split weird. And, oh, weird. And it's very, so it's very similar to what the phone do now but all with AI because the phones now have multiple lenses. They're kind of creating that, like you see the 3d images on Facebook right. every once in a while, which look really bad <laughs> in my mind. They're just like, cause you can see when you actually like drag it around or you like, it'll like kind of pull and peel and it doesn't cause it's not like true. De- like depth of field and it's not actually gathering that the correct information from the right. It's kind of rebuilding it with AI. Um, which kind of did it it's doing it almost a better job but you know if you could imagine if Lytro had like you know we were they were only working on a one inch sensor with 200 like if they had a bigger sensor I mean you could create some amazing stuff and I think that's what they did once I left you know they they laid off like a month after I left they laid off like pretty much all the marketing and sales team. And they reshifted the industry more into VR. They came out with this big Hollywood camera. Mm. Um, I'm not exactly, not exactly what sure what they're doing that like they, or well, since then they've sold to Google. Um, so Google bought them up for a steal of what they raised. Um, and now all the employees are kind of working there and I'm not I sure they just bought the patents or whatever and folded everything into, right into their <laughs> company. But I'm, yeah, it was it it was a you know, it was a great job, great people. It just like, you know, it was one of those things where I kind of did it out of like, yeah, I'm kind of, you know, slow right now. Maybe I'll take a job. This sounds interesting. It was great pay. It you know, it was a time in my life where it was an experience that I don't regret. Um but then I've been since then I've been full time again, and that was a long time ago, so.
0: Yeah, I feel like um, ever since I've Known who you were, I've noticed that you've always done a really good job of kind of connecting to the right people that can kind of help. I don't know, like take your career to the next place that you see it going. I think that's, I mean, I think that I hopefully you take that as a compliment because I think, yeah, that's, (laughs) I do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean that that takes some vision, you know, to understand like, okay, if this is where I want to take my career, like this is the kind of stuff I want to, I should be doing in order to kind of make those connections
1: it's, I've always told people life is, I mean, it's all about connections. It's all about who, you know, and you know, you got to put yourself out there. You got to, you know, do work constantly. I almost feel like I kind of went quiet the past couple of years actually. And I feel like it's kind of hurt me. And now I'm like, still just trying, like, I kind of feel like maybe a lot of people are in this kind of boat right now with just the whole industry. It's just so fast and shifting. And there's like a million more of us. So it's, everyone's just trying to figure out what to do and create a better consistency and keep clients and keep busy and keep working. And it's definitely getting more difficult. But, you know, as I've found is if you're not putting out new stuff and content and just like creating, you're not going to get anything back. Like you can't just sit there and wait. And, you know, my, my goal like this year is just to just, you know, pump out as much content as I can. Like I've been really good at hoarding all my content. I've so much stuff and just so much stuff unedited. And I was like and I'm really slow at getting stuff out. Like I just released a project that I, you know, shot back in 2018. So it's like <laughs> you know, I, I like I'm like I'm trying to get better at that, but you know, some but at the same time I also there is an appreciation for, you know, taking your time and, you know, making sure it's ready and making sure, you know, if you're not happy with it, don't release it, you know, wait. You know, a lot of people go off of what they see online and they're trying to keep up with this daily Instagram posting. And, you know, for certain people that works and is great and is, you know, valuable, but not for everyone. right? Um,
0: so, so for someone who's a full-time freelance photographer and 100% of your income is dependent on kind of your work product and how well you're able to make those connections and stuff like that. What kind of impact has that had on on your mental health?
1: Um, not good. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's not easy. It's you you're on your own, and I think the more I get into this industry, maybe the more depressed and anxiety induced I feel. Um, and and maybe that's just when things are slow. But like, you know, you don't get that if you have a typical job, but then, you know, when you have a typical job, you know, you get depressed about having a typical job. (laughs) So like, right. You know, so you can get that everywhere, but like, there's no one really helping you when you're on your own. There's no benefits. There's no insurance. There's no paycheck every two weeks. There's, you know, you have to run your business and your art as a business, you have to think about things that other companies would think about. You have to think about, you know, planning for no work for six months. You have to think about, you know, saving money for taxes and think about, you know, paying, having your own health care and gear insurance in case you get robbed or, you know, all these different things. And, and, and just like the expenses of running your own business too. Like, especially if you're shooting, you know, really high end video and like, you know 4k or even time-lapsing you're gonna have a ton of data and like then you're gonna have to store that and then you're gonna want to double back that up and right. like you know all like all those things add up and then like you know gear and like you know th- there's so many things that and especially now as i feel like jobs are getting you know cheaper but certain things aren't getting cheaper along with that and i like right we, like your costs like, are going down <laughs> No, the costs are just going up, and I mean, we had a like we're working with a client in SF right now, and we were on the job with them, and we were talking about just the memory cards for, you know, some of the higher end cameras, and and the, the, you know, like you could spend eight hundred dollars on a good memory card, and they right. they just and they looked at it and they were like, what. And then, you know, they instantly were just like, that's what a lot of people don't under like they even said they're like, that's what people don't understand, all, all like the costs that you guys have. And we're like, yeah, thank you. <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, you, you start to appreciate those clients more when they appreciate that, you know, this isn't just, you know, I'm not some person that's just gonna do this because it's my passion and gonna go do it for fun and free for you. It is my passion, but at the end of the day just with anything in life, we have bills, we have rent, we have expenses, just like you do. If you don't pay me, you know, imagine if your boss didn't pay you for two weeks, you would quit. You would, you would sue them. But like artists get taken advantage of day in and day out. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, I got kind of in a little scuffle with one of my bigger consistent clients. I'm not going to name anything. Oh
0: yeah, I remember that. I think I saw that on Twitter and I was like, Oh, that's not cool. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I probably delete it. I, I I need to get better about what what I say on Twitter, but um <laughs> 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 but yeah, yeah, and and you know, I I it ended up working out in my favor cuz I you know, I had a, just a deep conversation with them and I was just like, you know, because it was always net 60, which is a long time and net 60 for anyone who doesn't know is basically after you do the work, it's net 60. You don't get paid for 60 days after you do it and or after your yeah, invoice and, like, and
0: typical that doesn't, that doesn't fly in any other industry though. You know what I mean? Like No.
1: And it, and the reason for it is, you know, a lot of it is because, um, you know, they're not getting paid by their client because in our industry, there's so many middlemen, you know, like it's an agency right. hired by an agency hired by the main client. And,
0: right.
1: you know, they're kind of, um, it's not totally their fault but at the end of the day it's just like all right like how do we fix this and like and they wanted to kind of switch it to net 90 and I was just like that's insane like um and they were late on payments and I just had to kind of explain to them like you know like I, I just straight up told them I was like this is like unacceptable like I'm planning for you know rent and bills and all this and then I don't get it and then you tell me it's gonna be another 30 60 days I'm just like at least give me more work like that's kind of how I ended it and I was just like you know, I'd like you as a client, you've been consistent, but like, how do we fix this? And I ended up getting more work from them and, you know, I'm well, and continuing the contracts with them. So, you know, sometimes it just takes a little bit of working it out with them. And, you know, sometimes you have to kind of work within how they work if you want the work. And that's kind of right. how this industry goes. But I mean, no other industries like that. It's never net, 30 or 60. I mean, if you work a real job, it's every two weeks <laughs> or every month or every week you get paid right. and it's, it's <laughs> tough to plan. Um, but as you get deeper into it and you get more clients, then, you know, if you have tons of clients that are on net 30, it starts to flow better. But the second that breaks, it's really hard to plan for.
0: Right. You're like, well, I guess I'll pay my rent with my credit card. It.
1: That's, that's another issue. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Um, it if you can pay your rent with your credit card. I mean, right. for me now, I have a mor- for me I have a mortgage now and rent because I'm living in two places. But which is making life complicated. But um, you know, you can definitely get yourself into credit card trouble, especially if work stops. Um, totally.
0: I was going to say so, like having a huge impact on your mental health as a freelancer, and knowing kind of what you said earlier about your passion. You always wanted to turn your passion into your income. Did you ever think before you went down this path that this would be kind of what it would be like, or did you have a sense that it would be this way or?
1: No. I mean, you I, I don't really think you can plan for it, especially because when you're young and you're looking at this industry, you know, everyone online now, because it's everything's on, you know, you you kind of look up to these people who maybe make make it seem like everything's all you know sugar coated great and dandy and some of it some of them are fine but the amount of work that those people have gone through is insane and you know like i mean everyone wants to be a youtuber now everyone wants to be famous everyone wants to be an instagrammer and that's fine but like a lot of the people that they look up to you know do they really know if they're doing well or maybe they're just making it seem like they are are they really getting paid work or are they just getting trade deals and like traveling for free and just like and you know some of them aren't full-time and just like have a real job but they don't ever share that so all you see is this all you get out of it is is what you see so at the end of the day when you dive into it yourself you're kind of you're kind of diving in blind and like you may be super successful. You may not. And like, unless you have a true, unique niche talent, it's not going to be easy. Even if you do have the true niche talent, you still have to sell yourself. You still have to market yourself. You still have to get yourself out there. You, you know, and, and I know I've, you know, Andrew Studer, um, who was on your podcast a while ago and I are, have been good friends for a while since probably it was like, Six like you know 16 years old or some young age because he was getting into it and I think I was like one of the people who like helped convince him to not go to college <laughs> <or> something <laughs> like that which you know because like as I tell people I'm like if you really want to do this you've got to go all in in my mind
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and you got to be ready for the struggle though you got to prepare and I you know I used to probably say you know make sure you have six months of living money, like set aside, like in this industry. Now I'm almost like maybe a little bit more, you know, it's, it's with anything in life. If you want to do it full time, you just, you know, put your mind to it and go after it because, you know, working a full-time job or doing other things, like it's, it's tough. Then, then you're only like free when you can get time off or on the weekends or at night and like, you know, certain things you can do, but you know, then you start getting jobs and then you're starting to like ask for time off work. And then you like start considering, should I go in full or not? And, um, I mean, it's, it's, I don't think there is any like right or wrong way anymore. It's just such a cluster in my mind. Um, I know and, there,
0: well, and it's, it, it's such a hard proposition for somebody, like unless you have that six months to a year saved up, the risk associated with just diving in is like so overwhelming. At least it is to me. You know,
1: it, it completely is. And I mean, there's, especially when you start investing in yourself, depending on what you're doing, like, you know, I feel like if you're doing more of the educational stuff, you're, you're a little bit better off. I always tried to avoid that. And I kind of feel like, I, you know, bit myself in the ass because of that, just because I, I knew there was money in it. And I feel like I, I was just like trying to avoid it. I was like, I don't want to, you know, be an educator. I want to be an artist. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, like some of the most successful art- artists, you do see educating all the time. Um, and it is getting harder to, you know, I've made a lot of my money on licensing, which, you know, people maybe thinks crazy because people think there's no money in it. But like, I never used like any of the stock sites. I put some stuff here and there on them because I always like testing things. I, I, I'm like, you know, I'm not going to right. I'm not going to, you know say how bad getty is without trying it myself so i'd give him a few things or like you know like i try i try everything just because i like being the person to understand how it works understand why people don't like it understand at the end of the day getty probably isn't that bad like if you actually put a ton of content in there like that's where everyone goes and buys it now but i've always made it i always made more from you know posting my videos to like youtube and then you'd get the one or two people that would find it because they're looking for something more unique than they can find that's on the top page of getty and then they'd reach out and you'd license it but like you know 50 percent of the people would go away they'd be like oh those prices are too high and they'd go to getty and you're just like i mean prices are at the bottom now just because all these stock sites are giving it away for free and it's or 20 dollars or 20 cents or whatever like adobe stock which i know is an absolute joke Um, but you know, they've, they've really changed the value of the industry, but I mean, the buyers have also helped change that too, because it was like a race to the bottom on both sides and the buyers were always looking for cheaper, which is understandable. Um, and I mean, I've even licensed, I
0: don't know, (laughs) especially considering, I feel like most consumers of that product aren't. I don't know, like they don't care if it's really, really amazing or not. You know, like when I watch like a when I watch a I mean, I guess it depends on what your goal is for your project or whatever. But oftentimes I'll watch something that I know probably wasn't expensive or difficult to produce, but it still had the intended effect. You know, like it still was a video that was used to, I don't know, showcase something that they wanted to show off. And it wasn't that complicated or expensive to make. Um, but I think there is a market for those kind of higher end niche things like the stuff you're doing with helicopters and cars and crazy stuff like that. I mean, that takes a lot of planning and execution to get it right, (laughs) you know?
1: Yeah. And, and some of that I do more for fun. Um, I think these days I've been trying to move more into production. Um, it's kind of, uh, because I got into the drone space, I started getting some jobs where, you know, I always wanted to be compliant, which as we all know, there's plenty of drone pilots who aren't compliant and flying just anywhere and everywhere. And I'm guilty at times. I mean, there's just a lot of, it's kind of one of those things where it's just like, you know, there's certain gray areas that I'll go into, but when I'm working for a client, I never do like, I'm like, we work in SF. And so, you know, part of me wanted to just do it professionally and right. And I partnered with a drone team and it was a pilot that I hired for my first aerial job. And back in 2013, cause we needed some stuff downtown SF and we flew a big old heavy lift drone. I we mounted my can, my cannon on it. We had to get permission from, you know, the trans Bay, cause we were flying right over the, right where the big skyscrapers were. Um, cause they weren't there then. And cause we were doing work for those skyscrapers and you know now i work with him on many jobs because i'm able to you know they have all the bigger drones he's faa he has tons of experience i can kind of just focus on the creative and he can focus on kind of the coordination and logistics and because these bigger drones you're dual operating them anyways someone's piloting someone's cam i still am in control of the camera
0: mm-hmm. and it's
1: mm-hmm. it, and it's been a great partnership and we started we started getting some bigger jobs. Like this year we've been on, you know, multiple like car and motorcycle like shoots at, at Bixie bridge, which is like the top car spot to shoot anyways, you know, crazy permitting, all of this, like bigger productions, big teams. Um, you know, these, these are the types of shoots that like you need that experience and you need, you know, you, you're going to fail so quickly when you show up to these things and you're not prepared for what a production right, cause, is Cause what, it's you not. have like
0: a 15 second window to execute it correctly and then you're basically done
1: <laughs> yeah pretty much if if things go well and, and and then usually you know like you know usually it's like the weather's not perfect or something breaks on the car because it's a prototype and there's only one and then um, you know, someone else needs to redo a shot. So like, all right, we're not going to do drones on this one. we are going to have the follow cargo with the big boom arm. And then, oh, can right. you just like, can you still shoot it so that we can get something or, you
0: know, like, and you're like, it, like,
1: and you're like should... I
0: only, I only have a permit for like this specific point in time.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. And well, they're all under the same thing. Cause these are like 20 plus person crews. And then like, and you can't really just like, you don't like people don't understand the overtime either. It's like. When a big production goes overtime, you know, they're paying twenty people overtime. And right. or if or, or or if they have to go on a different day, it's it's gonna be crazy because like that just like just rescheduling overtime or a different day, that's twenty people permits, all that. If you can even get it, it could turn into a twenty thousand dollar, you know, overage on the client, which they just so it's a lot of those shoots are just, just, they're very high stress, but they're very interesting and fun. And I, I've, I've loved gaining that experience. Um, and I would just crave more of it just because practice makes perfect. And you know, when you're on these things, there's, there's no like playing around or, Oh, can we do it again sometimes? Or, and then sometimes the creative has to just, the editor just has to like make work with what they have. And it's, it's interesting.
0: Yeah. Have Um, you ever considered, um, Working for like a large production studio, you know, like like the I don't know, like HBO or Netflix or something, where they're they need someone consistently to be able to do that kind of stuff. But you don't, you know, the problem with that is you don't necessarily get to pick your projects, but at least you have more of a consistent revenue stream. Maybe I don't know. I was just thinking out loud a when little bit.
1: Netflix would hire a production company. Um, I see. Usually, they have some people in. I mean, there's there's so many worlds there and 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 that is actually a big thing on my mind these days is is i have started looking into part-time full-time work just because i want more experience and i kind of want some more consistency and i i kind of crave i kind of crave working with people more like just being around humans like like everything's getting so remote and like everyone's working remote and like when you're a landscape photographer you're always out alone or you're maybe with one other person and and um i keep thinking i need to move to la and i just like don't want to and, and <laughs> I have some, right and i like have some connections that like but i've always kind of wanted to do it myself or build my own production company being the kind of crafty person i like being in the business side mm-hmm. um, and that's why i've been able to get some jobs but um i also it's why i love san francisco because i feel like i have a little bit more niche there than in la like I could probably get more work in LA, but there's also more competition and more of me down there and people who are very good. Um, And I think San Francisco just added a film tax credit this year again, which they didn't have for a few years. So there's going to be more. So Hollywood's going to be up more in in, uh, San Francisco. I think they're doing the matrix in Oakland this year and like other shoots. So like, I'm hoping that that maybe brings me some more work in that field, but right. But yeah, those are, uh, yeah, it's it's, it's kind of one of those things that you kind of ponder. And every time I'd like look and seek for some part-time, full-time work, I just would get like hit up for freelance work and then I'd get too busy. And then like, then it gets slow again and you're like, ah, should I go get a job? And then you get busy again. And it's kind of been that for the past year with me where I'm just like, what is going on? Like Like, I love <laughs> what I do and I want to stay in the field.
0: All right, well, I wanted to take a quick break from the show to tell you about some upcoming opportunities to join me at two amazing photography conferences where I will be teaching, recording podcasts, and moderating panel discussions with some of the world's best and brightest landscape photographers. First up, I will be at Out of Moab from September 13th through 17th, which should be a ton of fun. And lastly, I will be at Out of Acadia from October 4th through 8th, I would love to see you there. Also, I have a special offer just for podcast fans. You can get $250 off of your registration for either of those two conferences by using the code PAIN, that's P-A-Y-N-E, at checkout. But you have to hurry as these discounts end on February 28th. All right, well, let's get back to Toby Harriman. Well, let's uh, talk about Instagram. There's a interesting development that you've kind of been at the center of a little bit which I would love to talk to you about and um I feel like I think you were the first person that I saw this on and I've heard rumblings from a lot of other people in the photography world especially like how do I say this like more kind of fine art slash creative um And we can talk about this too, but like, you know, digital (laughs) digital art, like photo illustrators. I mean, we're not talking about photography here. We're talking about people that are creating scenes artistically in Photoshop using images that they've spliced together in order to create something that's artistic. And Instagram has seemingly started to censor some of these or tell people that, you know, be careful, this is not real. What is that about? Um, yeah. So <laughs> it, it, it popped up in my feed
1: the other day and I was like, whoa, like, like you what? know, me being just very, <laughs> like me being very interested in that stuff and just like the tech and like kind of the, the behind the scenes of it and, and, and like how stuff works. You know, it, it, it was fascinating to see that. It was almost, I was kind of happy, but also like I was like, hmm, it's not really working how it's intended. Um, and I saw it on a hub, which I I, personally, I usually try to avoid following these hubs because those are just pages that grow by resharing other people's stuff. And then they start making tons of money off ad rev and stuff like that. It's kind
0: of disgusting,
1: actually.
0: Um, That's a whole
1: nother hour (laughs) conversation. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, and this was a hub and I was just like, why would I have followed this hub, which I kind of think I realized yesterday that I, it was probably a page that sold t- and someone bought it and made it a hub because people do do that once they grow a big page they'll just sell it um and um and then it will change and then like you don't really realize it because you're following it and this hub well i don't know, it was like mix something. i can't even remember um i could look but i don't want to mess matter. up the stream here but uh <laughs> You can look at it on Petapixel, and so I so so I posted it on my Facebook. I had, like some screenshots, and I was just like, interesting. Like it's interesting to see this happening. And you know, I shared it with my friend um, who works at Petapixel, and I was like, An interesting story, if, in case you're interested. And you know, they asked permission to use the screenshots, and they ended up doing a post on it. And then I was like, cool, all right. And then I have like a Google uh tracker that tracks whenever I'm mentioned. Um, so like
0: oh right.
1: all of a sudden I got, so I got my email and it was like, you were mentioned in all these articles and it was like, ev- like daily mail and like the verge and Mashable. And I mean, I was just like, Holy cow, like hype beast. And you know, all these pages were quoting the Petapixel article and quoting me. And some of them were taking it like the telephone game and saying it happened to me. Or some people And I think on some of the sites there's actually updates now from a Facebook spokesperson. So some Facebook spokesperson's been, you know, updating all these people. I've been trying to reach out because I actually want to do a guest post on Petapixel, which we've agreed to do, um, where I was going to give more information, more of my thoughts, try to get some some stuff direct from them, um, because I actually did more research after it all happened because people were like messaging me like, "Hey, you're quoted. Hey, you're quoted," and I'm like, "What is going on? Like this (laughs) blew." up and i mean it's everywhere and it was taken a little out of context but at the end of the day i think it was good because facebook was like "Hmm, maybe this isn't working right and essentially what happened was it was a photo of like a desert and somebody in it and they painted each of the little desert like squares like different colors and it was rainbowy and colorful and and there happened to be an article on a fact checker site, kind of like a snoops or whatever that kind of facts checks stuff. Right. And because that post was already listed and like fact checked in this article because of previous history, I think, it got triggered on this fact checker. Oh, interesting. And and so that's what I realized. I was like, all right, so maybe it's only gonna get triggered if it's on a Snoops type site or a site that's partnered with Facebook to fact check stuff. And it's not just gonna go after everyone. And then somebody found the original artist and I went to his page and you know, all his work is these beautiful Photoshoppy, rainbow colored things and like and to me I'm like, I love digital art. And I even said that in in the original post, I was just like, I have no problem with. You know, fact checking. Like I have a huge respect for digital art. I've done it myself.
0: Sure.
1: Um, I I don't have a respect for people who try to pass it off as real, and that's the issue that they're going after. And you know, so I started thinking like maybe this hub, because they were listed as media, are taken as news, mm. and they also weren't crediting the artist, and they just so like you know, they should have gotten docked anyways because Facebook does not dock people for just stealing stuff. Right. Um which is another issue and part of that other hour conversation (laughs) right on
0: why hubs are evil
1: the uh
0: (laughs) yeah and and so
1: or just people that just take stuff and share like like there's no control and and that's where you know like when i found the original artist page like none of his stuff was doc he was listed as a graphic designer he's actually a graphic he's an artist or illustrator at um you know, Nickelodeon. So oh, like, you know that's his industry, that's yeah. his field. Like right. he creates this stuff, and there's a few other artists who do similar stuff, and and it's beautiful work. Like you go through his page, and you're like, obviously it's photoshopped. You know, it's not. He's not trying to right. to to make this desert be rainbow colored. You know, popsicles. You know, it's like that's what he does, and that's his art, and that's totally fine. He's not trying to pass anything off. He even like in his story when I found it, he showed like a before and after. So it's like he's showing his process and he wasn't docked. And so then when I realized the Petit, like that article, like everyone was embedding my Facebook post into all these news sites. So I <laughs> added the more photos to the post and I added updates to my post because that auto updated within all of the news sites. Petapixel didn't embed my post, but, uh, all these other sites were embedding my Facebook post into their news. Wow! And so I, <laughs> because I was able to update it, that embed updated. And so I was hoping that that would create a little traction.
0: Sure.
1: Um, And, and I think they retract it. They didn't, they took the fact checker off that. Um, But yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how that affects the work. And I think I, like, I know you wanted to talk about like labeling and and this is kind of something that I've talked to a few people about because I think this industry maybe needs it a little bit in certain aspects of like let's say you're working for Nat Geo or Time Magazine or like you know if it is a news organization,
0: right? And by labeling, I feel like you mean like I'm a fine art photographer, or I'm a journalist, or I'm a influencer, or I'm a nature photographer, or I'm a I'm a digital artist, whatever.
1: Sort of, yeah, 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 and you like, I think there needs to be a set of labels that are created and it may be impossible to do this, honestly. Like, like, I mean, but like, look at this, like food, like there's, there's organic labels and there's not, you know, I kind of look at it like that a little bit where it's like, like if it's on that geo, like it needs to have a label of like, this is, you know, journalistic, like organic, you know, it has only so much and like, you can click on that and see like, you know, This has only so much editing, no Photoshopping, no taking things out, no this, no that, no like, like, but like basic exposure, you know, highlights and stuff like that can be acceptable. But, you know, I think there needs to be a little bit more of that. And I think, you know, when Adobe had their Adobe Max thing this past year, they had a new software that I think they partnered with some of these big sites that actually will analyze the photo and show pixels that have been moved so that it can tell if a photo is has been photoshopped or not Mm -hmm. um (laughs) and i thought that was kind of interesting too and and i and this is probably really difficult but yeah i mean i like i think there needs to be especially with like the nat geo or like i mean and like i think nat geo could do a little bit more like with their your shot Cause like they'll they'll feature photos that you can even tell like I know they got in a lot of trouble with a bunch of Astro photos recently,
0: yeah where
1: somebody photoshopped the sky multiple times and some that some like someone you know someone caught it, but like that's where these things wouldn't happen if there was a better you know process
0: of well it's not hard you know, right? vouched I mean it's not hard you like, know like you submit a raw file or a set of raw files and you show them the end result and then they look at it and say it's close enough or wow you really took some artistic liberties here you know like done.
1: and i think they do that to a point but i think you could like i think before they work with a photographer or feature you have to go through this accreditation like vouching Mm -hmm. interview process of all your photos and how you label them and then you know if you get caught in the future you're gone but like you know, I, like, I don't think you have to do it every single time. And because that's just going to be a headache. Oh, no. But, you know, it's, it's, the, I just think there has to be something like, I don't know if you really have to label art, but I feel like in the journalistic space, and that's kind of the problem with Facebook, like, and, and Instagram is, it's just so open and so free that there are no rules, like, you know, before all this, if you had a gallery with your work, like, you go into that gallery knowing it's going to be art or, you know, you know, like, like you open a newspaper knowing it's supposed to be journalistic, but like now it's just like, everything's just such a free for all throwing it on these platforms. And then all these big legit companies are actually just like, Ooh, that's pretty like, let's share that. Cause they like want all the views and likes, but they're like, like everything's moving so fast that no one's really taking any like, like a credibility for like what they're doing. And it's just like, and then they'll get caught and then they'll like, do it again. And then they'll get caught and then they'll do it again. And it's just like, it's
0: interesting. I actually, uh actually just got done reading Ansel Adams biography. It's a really great read. And you know, this is not a new problem in the photography space. Um In fact, no. you know, the,
1: well, he got, he was kind of borderline, wasn't he? Sort of. Well, How you look <laughs> at it. I mean, with dodging and burning with stuff like that. Yeah,
0: I mean, he definitely dodged and burned like a crazy man, but he never like composited or things like that. But him no. and
1: him and a, he couldn't really that well. <laughs> him and a bunch of
0: other photographers back in like 1934 got together and they were like, we want to create this group called F64, which basically was all about defining what they define as straight straight or pure photography and then making it to where that's all they want to promote or showcase in the gallery exhibitions that they're in. And um, I think it was their way of kind of um, com- combating kind of what the previous trend of, in photography was, which was pictorialism. And basically yeah. photographers were trying to emulate uh, landscape painters which is funny because that's what people are trying to do now. Again, they're trying to emulate the work of landscape painters by using, uh, photographs as their medium to then combine and artistically create these artworks, which is, it's awesome. I I mean, I think, I mean, you look at some of the stuff people are doing, you're just like, damn, that's beautiful. But then you're like, Oh, that's like 17 photographs taken from four locations. it's like that. I mean, to me, like that, i it's not it's not the same as photography it's and i feel like that's where labels kind of does help is um is it's like i like to know what i'm looking at like when you listen to music like you like to know oh this is pop music or this is folk music or if you're reading a book you like to know if it's fiction or non-fiction
1: exactly and this is still, and that's the tough thing, because everyone thinks, well, it's art, it's 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 free. Like I don't have to explain myself, and I'm, and I'm fine with that. But because of the platform at hand, it's not really free. It's all open, and it's kind of like, and then like you know, these people want to like work for Nat Geo, and they like do all these things, and and I think that was my wake up call when I started being a contributor with National Geographic Travel. At first, they only wanted my videos, mm-hmm. and you know, so I was sharing through their Instagram, we had like password access and I'd go and I was able to share under strict guidelines. And, um, and you know, I think after two years I asked, I was like, can I share photos like now? Like I've been posting them on your earshot and they get featured. And like, I'm like, can I start posting some photos here? Like, it's just like hard to keep up with all the videos. And, and I mean, n- now they have a different system that we submit through. And I, I think they're taking a different stand as well they're trying to be a little bit more strict with like descriptions and that was always my my downside is like writing right. about the photos on there i was always scared but and now they're owned by disney and it's getting weird right. and all those things but but yeah it, it's you know like it's all about what you want to be and where you want to post and like what you're just what your brand is and and for me, like once I started submitting with them, it changed my work because I used to have a little fun and do sure, some stuff sure. and some photoshopping. And, and, you know, if I do, I label it as digital art. Um, and I'll, and I will blatantly say that. And I'm very strict about that now. But like these days, I'm very, very more journalistic. And I'm like, I think I just started going more in a journalistic path of like wanting to show exactly what it's like. I think I spend about less than three minutes editing a photo these days. I just do very basic right. Lightroom sliders. I don't even open Photoshop anymore unless I have to do something like crazy or something that like fixes something that is a little bit more natural, but like, yeah, I, I bear, I think I would have, I barely open Photoshop ever anymore unless it's for like graphic stuff right. um, well, I think, or like make, making,
0: the, I think at the crux of this whole labeling of things problem is is the fact that for probably the last century, the general public has come to want to trust uh, photography as being based in a real experience. And when people start using photographs and then, you know, manipulating them in such a way to where it no longer represents an experience that is actually experienceable, I think people start to lose trust and faith in photography as a medium of kind of conveying things or at least in the way that they expected it to. And that's where I feel like the label thing could be helpful because it's like, like you can still convey emotion and experience and things like that through digital art, but it's a different, like you're not coming to the table with this expectation that it's something that you as the viewer could also experience or see. So I think that's kind of at the, for me anyway, that's what the, as is at the crux of it.
1: And that gets really tough because, I mean, you know, there are a lot of these fine art landscape photographers where they are creating and spending 40 hours, you know, creating these pieces with all these photos, um, even if they're taken from the same tripod point and they're just bracketing and like, oh, one for the sky, one for that water flow, one for that sure. water flow, <laughs> and one for that water flow. And, and then they're kind of combining the images. It is sort of what you could see there but it was so altered and perfect that like, it will like, if you ever see it that perfect, like you're lucky, like, right. I mean, I don't want to name names, but like, I know that, you know, I know these people are like painting every brush of grass, right? you know, like, and they're just like, or they're bringing in, you know, it's like kind of creating the light and they look incredible, but they they are just paintings of the scene. And it's not a lie, of the scene and that's where it gets that's that gray area where it's like it is sort of what you would see but it was so made it, it, it was painted mm-hmm. and it, it it wasn't what you actually perfectly saw to a point and it's not really what your camera captured it's what you're you know it you're using the camera more as a tool to create art versus using your tam- camera as a t- as a tool to document a scene and I think that's more of the separation is um, and, and that's why everyone says like photography, like some people will say photography, you know, is all of it. And some people will say like photography is journalism. But like <laughs> that's why th- there there's it, it, and, and that's why I almost think like maybe it is impossible to label it and. And, and that's why I almost think like maybe just the journalistic world needs labels. And that's where you have to go through a different process. Like right. if you want to work for these companies, if you want to be on this level or do these things, then you, then you go down this path. And then like anything before that's open game though, <laughs> you know, it's like, but you know, just know like, you know, Nat Geo will never share your stuff or, or if you want to be a Nat Geo, like you need to change your style or change or do different things. But like,
0: well, it's interesting. You don't, you know, so one of the things I I really like is um I your uh your friend Tony Eckersley used to do this a while ago where he would kind of share the before and after of his you know of kind of what he started with and then what he ended up with in post and and I wish more people did that because I think um at least then you're like okay I can see the differences and you know some I can see the artistic liberties that you took and and but do
1: we need but at the same time do we care
0: i don't i i don't know i think some people
1: unless unless if you want to learn and you're like trying to teach then i think that matters but that's why i think maybe just a label fixes that like why right right like why like like i and, and that's where i agree with the people who don't agree with the labels it's like i don't think you have to prove yourself i don't think a painter has to show their process like Mm -hmm. unless you want to be an educator then Mm -hmm. then yeah like like then you need to show your process but
0: Mm -hmm.
1: i feel like you can be an artist without you know having to be an educator
0: yeah it's interesting right and i've always wondered why people that are more in that kind of digital art camp why they're so hesitant to label it as digital art and why they want to still label it as like landscape photography or whatever because and i i'm just speculating but i feel like for some people out there that might be at the heart of why they're they're so against it because they want to be seen and respected by their peers that they see as as landscape photographers and not digital artists like they want to be in that they want to be seen as somebody in that in that space and not the digital artist space um because i've there there's some really fantastic digital artists that i follow surprisingly um who are mm-hmm. super forthcoming about like the fact that it's co- totally composited and you know it's all just digital creations and stuff like that but they call themselves those digital artists and they're very forthcoming about it all and like they're not they don't, but they don't hold themselves out as a photographer. They hold themselves out as a digital artist. And I think it's interesting uh, when you have photographers who are starting to creep more into that digital art space, why, why some of them – and I don't know, maybe it's a question they need to answer. Well, they don't need to answer, but it'd be interesting to hear their answer of what, why would you be hesitant to even put a label on that?
1: Yeah, Exactly.
0: Cause I mean, it might um, solve all the problems like, Oh, that's digital art. Cool. I'm a more straight photographer. Cool. Appreciate, appreciate it all for what it is, you know, like, and you're probably going to get more work
1: in it. Like, like, you know, I'm, I was talking to Colby Brown. Kind of just like, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I mean, I was talking to Colby Brown today, just like kind of about my Myanmar project a little bit. Cause he helped me a lot with like finding guides over there and some information. Oh, cool. And, you know, it's, as he says, you know, create what you want to, you know, work in. Like if you want to work in that industry, create work that fits that, you know, like, you know, you're, you're kind of in control of your own destiny to a point. Um, You know, if like, if you want drone clients, go shoot and practice drones, go put out work, go put out, you know, go get your FAA license, go like go through all the steps that everyone else did in the industry to get there, don't just ask for it. You know, you got to go prove yourself and you got to like start and you do and you got to practice and you got to fail. And you, and, you know, I've always said you got to fail to succeed, but you also have to invest in yourself. And that's not always about, you know, investing in yourself with money, but you have to invest in yourself with time and you got to go put stuff out. You got to make people see you that you're doing these things and then, you know, try to get them in re- front of the right people, market it to the right people. and I think there's a lot of people that just market to other photographers, but like, um, like I know like people delete ghost followers a lot. They use apps to delete ghost followers, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: which I've, which I've always been against because honestly, in my mind, some of the best followers are the ones that are the ghost followers. There's a lot of fake ones. Let's, let's be real, but you know, a lot like people that work at agencies and like at, at these companies, like they use fake accounts to follow people and like find artists to work with. Like, cause like, they don't want to like clutter their own personal Instagram <laughs> because they're not, cause they're not a photographer. Like, or like it's your grandma who like has, has a private account and no profile picture, but follows three people. And it's like you mom and dad, you know, you know, like, so, so there's like lots of that. And like, you know, you, you never know who's watching that's like what I tell people, like they're all watching, but you never know who is watching. And like, you want to get in front of the right people and you want to do the work that you want to do. And it's, 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 it's a interesting world, but it's, uh,
0: it is like, and there's obviously a huge market for that. I mean, those, most of the people that do that, that kind of work, I feel like they're known for that stuff and people that want to learn from them. They're not, going on their workshops to, you know, learn how to improve their composition. They're going to learn post-processing techniques. So like, why not own that? And, you know, like yep. take advantage of it and market yourself that way and call yourself a, even like go to the extreme, like call yourself like a f- photography Photoshop guru. Like I'm going to exactly. teach you all that. I'm going to teach you all the tricks to make your boring photographs look good. You know, like there's nothing wrong with that, but like, no, <laughs> don't get offended when other people who are more pure, straight photographers look at your work and go, "Yeah, you just created that. I mean, like, it's not a photograph anymore. You created it." And and just in the it. only just time that you, like yeah, yeah I did yeah, and I'm proud of it
1: because I'm not because I'm not going to get pissed at the people who create that stuff. Like, I'm not going to be like, oh, that's Photoshopped because like some of those people are branded correctly. Like they, that's what they do. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And I follow those people still. But then there's, like, yeah, me too. but then there's the gray area people where you're, where you're always just questioning and you're just like, and then they're working with tourism companies and stuff like that. And they're working in like, and then those photos end up being promoted too. And then you start seeing these people want to go there because of that. But then they're never, and so it's like they're just setting these weird expectations and that's where the branding comes or like you know the labels come in and as much as like you know we don't want to be labeled but you know I feel like it would make you stronger as a person when you do label yourself correctly like I know when you start as a photographer everyone's just like first name last name photography and
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's fine. guilty and and uh, we're all guilty we, we all started somewhere and um, and I mean I don't think I'm branded fully correctly. Like now that I'm totally thinking about it, I'm just like, I think I put artist. like, you know, I just call myself an artist because, you know, that's like the most broad term. But, you know, if there was a real labeling system, I would want to lock onto one of them, but I'd also want the freedom to do the other. And like, cause I still love doing some of that stuff from time to time. And like, and I still feel like I could put it out, but you know, like you can put it out in a different way. And, that, and and that's where your brand will get stronger. Like, you know, that's why you see some of these people get so big on social because they just stick to a style and they own it and they go after it.
0: Although I think you just hit on something that I hadn't thought of before that's always kind of bothered me a little bit, which is like once you kind of go down a path of, you know setting a branding for yourself like oh i only do this style like i or or if i'm oh if you're somebody who just always creates digital art and then you put out work that's straight photography like no one's going to take that seriously as straight photography because you've marketed yourself as something else and the vice versa is true like if you're a straight photographer a more pure photographer and you put out something that's crazy composited people are going to be like wait what yeah that's not what yeah. Like imagine <laughs> I,
1: if, uh, like, imagine if, like, you know, like Paul Nicklin or like, you know, Crisper Card or like those people started putting out like super photoshopped, like fake stuff. Like you would really start, then you'd really start questioning their entire career, honestly. But,
0: <laughs> right. You'd be like,
1: what? <laughs> and, and, and it would be, or I mean, I guess you could look at, um, what's the big guy's name? He shot like the famous Nat Geo covers. I'm totally spacing on it. And he got caught for like photoshopping oh, signs.
0: Right. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, um, I'm blanking too, but I know who you're talking about. Steve
1: McCurry. Steve McCurry. Yeah,
0: Steve McCurry. Exactly. Um, yeah.
1: You know, so he, and then he even had to come out as like a statement and kind of like saying like, I'm not a photojournalist anymore. <laughs> you know, it was kind of like, what? Like, and so, and and it's not that he was necessarily changing trying to lie about a scene but you know he was like getting rid of a photo like a sign that maybe distracted you from what he was really trying to share and that's and that's an interesting like another interesting topic because it's just like you know where do you draw that line and that's where no one really knows where that line is right now because we're we're photoshopping that line on our own you know we're creating the line of what what we cross and what we don't cross um Mm -hmm. And, you know, for him, he was in such a high level of journalism that, you know, it was kind of a wake-up call of, like, how much of it have you Photoshopped? And people started picking every one of his photos apart of just, like, look at this sign. Like, you could just, like, see the post, but it was, like, moved or it was, like, Photoshopped. And then, you know, like, other photos got started getting in trouble for, like, you know, how staged they are. And and the whole staging thing has just been a wake-up call to me. Um
0: like, oh even like, like even Dorothy Lang back in the 30s and 40s like did a lot of staging people don't don't realize it but like even the classic big photographers did a lot of staging in terms they, of
1: they they still do and that was actually oh, a big, yeah. that was a big wake-up call when I actually went to Myanmar recently um is you know when I started talking with my fixer and the, getting the guides and the whole plan together and I was kind of getting these responses like do you want fishermen you know they would cost this much <laughs> and we could have them over here and I was just like whoa like okay and that's when I started like all right this is how it works and then I was like do you want to uh-huh. shoot do you want to shoot the boot like the buddhist monks in the temple like we may need to get a permit and like we could schedule that and it just became this whole like I'm like wow everything of that is orchestrated so like all those photos you see of monks and they're holding their hands perfectly. And there's like the nice beam of light on them, or they're holding the candle or they're like hopping across the temple and they're, you know, all that that's set up and.
0: Which is kind of disappointing to me. Cause when you look at that stuff, when I look at that stuff, I'm like, Oh my God, what an amazing moment in time. Like, you know, the whole, what is that? Cartier Bresson who said it's the decisive moment. You capture the decisive moment. But it's like, if you fabricated the decisive moment, it's to to me, it's much less interesting to look at. It's like, oh, you just did that. Like, that's not... When
1: you know about it, it's not good. (laughs) Like, and that was how I, that was how I feel like, you know, I mean, they do these workshops and, you know, it's not only that they're setting it up for one photographer, there's like a group of like, you know, 10 people getting the same photo and they're just like, move your hand to the right. Oh, can you lift the candle a little higher? Can you oh my God. throw a little bit more dust? I mean, it's like the Antelope Canyon. You're like throwing dust right. in there to, to create the beam of light. And it's like, it's not wrong. It's not right in my mind. I don't know. And so like, you know, we were in Myanmar and, and like my responses to this were like, you know, sure. Like, you know, but I still want to get the natural Or I still want to get some natural stuff, but I'm curious. Like I obviously was like, yeah, like let's do that. And, you know, so we're in we're in Inlay Lake and, you know, the famous fisherman shots you see with the nets, which is like, you know, the cover of my new project, actually. Um, and it is very inv- it's an in- very inviting photo. And like y- you realize when you're in the moment that, you know, these people, how is it any different from like theater in America or, you know, actors and like, you know, they're trying to get a job just like, you know the fishermen are trying to work like these people wanted to a, and a, they they need a way to make money just like we want to be photographers it's it's just an industry oh, sure. and, and 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 that's where like if you really think about it it's not bad and i've actually heard that like the fake fishermen as i call them like actually kind of help the real fishermen because they're drawing the tourists away from the real fishermen who are actually trying to work
0: <laughs> and well, that, catch that fish. Makes, i mean that makes sense for sure
1: and, and so we're not bugging, uh, but it's, it's a different fishing method. They don't use those nets anymore. And there's like a whole different process. And so I like, I talk a lot, like I talk a lot about that in my, um, in my story that I just released and, and like kind of the balance with (laughs) pun intended between the fishermen, um, and, and, and how I thought it was really interesting. And then like, um, when we were in Mandalay, we had another hired fisherman situation, like in front of the yubanin bridge that like everyone gets it's a different like throwing net situation. and there was we had our fisherman with my buddy and I, and there was a group of Chinese tourists like on a workshop or something with another paid fisherman. and they the fishermen people, like I guess, work together, but they actually do fish too. Um, But they also do this because it's better money now, you know, like tourism. I'm sure it's
0: crazy better. (laughs) Yeah. And so,
1: but it was, I I, I actually was disgusted with that scene because the, the group, the, the tour group that was next to us, you know, there was like 15 of them and the tripods were just, it was crazy. And they were all like in the, the, whoever was the head of that, like teaching, it was like really directing the fishermen and everything. Yeah. But then there was like a tourist boat behind the fishermen, like kind of like, you know, because that's they're allowed to like, it's not only our scene. And the guy paddled like they were trying to get that boat to move out of the shot. (laughs) And and he literally paddled out there and like talked to them and pulled them back to the shore. And then it was like these like, you know, two they may have been American. I can't remember. But like I, I was talking to her. And she was like, well, we were actually on shore here yesterday. We wanted to be in the boat to get a different view today. But like the guide or the photo guy was like telling him like, oh, it's a much better view over here. Like, you know, thinking that like, this is what you want. Like you shouldn't be out there because you're ruining our shot. But like those tourists, like we're already over here. They were trying to get their view, a different view. And like, it didn't bug me because I'm the type where it's just like, I'm not trying to totally set it up. Like, and I also realized that like, this is not my land. This is not, you know, my scene. Like, I don't like, you're not on my property. This is everyone's property. That disgusted me.
0: When you, when you, I'm sure if you looked at some of those photographs, they're amazing photos, right? But like, I guarantee if you had that pre-knowledge of that it was staged, you would, you're just your appreciation level of that image just completely went to the shitter. At least for me, it does. Like I'm, when I look at something and someone's like, Oh yeah, like it was all set up and premeditated and I'm just like, okay, I mean, good for you, I guess. It doesn't really, I just don't find that type of photography that exciting personally, just because it's, I don't know, like it doesn't take talent to pay somebody to set up a scene for you, you know?
1: Yeah, and to a point, actually, you know, I mean, there's a very, um, there there is an art in setting up a scene, just like portrait photographers, there's an art in getting the model to like really react and have the right faith. And, you know, in these situations, there's to me, I was able to gain more of an appreciation because I went to the level of research and thought about it from two perspectives and tried to and i used the photos to explain and educate others that maybe go mm-hmm. so to me i still felt a little bit of appreciation cuz i was able to understand that they're not fake it's just their job and it's it may not be great with how many other people are using it and like i didn't agree with how the fo- like the photo instructor of this chinese group was de- dealing with it and like trying to change other tourists views like right. they wanted to be there Like, that I was disgusted in. But when I was in, like, Inlay Lake, I thought it was hilarious because, like, there's that famous shot, which is the shot that I used for my cover of, like, shooting through the net. And then you get, like – and, like, I didn't necessarily – I wasn't going to do that because I know it's been done. But then they just, like, come over to you and stick the net into your camera. Like, they like because they're so used to it and everyone wanting that (laughs) shot that, that the fisherman guy just comes over and, like, Like, you know, it's it's theater to them. They do it like ten times a day probably. So they just like put the net into my they're like, Oh, put the camera here. And I'm just like, All right, I'll take it. And like (laughs) I remember my buddy my buddy was with me and he was kind of a little bit more against it and just kind of just laughing, just like and I was just like, Wow, like they just put it like they like you don't even have to try to get that shot. They just make it for Mm -hmm. you and it's just hilarious. Um But I mean, for me it was such a good learning experience. But you know, when I think about when when I think about some other stuff in Myanmar, I, I it makes me wonder how much of it's set up by them too. Like we went to this, you know, in, in indigenous like like villages and like, you know, you go to all these places and it's like it really makes you think and wonder like how much of it is just kind of scripted by tourism and by like locals there of like, all right, we need to like like the the long neck women um that you see from Myanmar that have that like that Oh, um, sure the neck like bracelet that right is really long and that kind of they...
0: elongate elongates their neck yeah and
1: and it's like though they're not from in they lake they were brought like that group was brought there for tourism purposes and oh, wow. and they just and they're there all day and it was like you know we were brought there by our guide just like out of nowhere and then we ended up there and then it was like and then you like so you read into that later and you kind of realize that like you know, they're from the shin state or from a different part, but like this group was brought here for like, and you know, maybe they have a better life cause they're able to like, right. you know, fund it better. And they have, you know, they're interacting with more culture and people, but you know, they're also just like sitting there as like models all day. And you know, it's like, I don't want to like disrespect, like when you're there as a photographer, like you almost feel forced to shoot some of these things too. Cause you just like, you get in that weird dilemma of just, like, that's kind of what they want or, like, what they're doing. And, like, that's, like, what they made their job. So, like, maybe you are giving them, you know, a better life or an industry or, like, you know, by being there and by interacting with them and by taking pictures of them so that the next more people come to see them. And it's, like, you know, just as, like, like, theater here, people want people to come see their show. And it's, you know, it's... I
0: guess I wonder, though, like, do you feel like the majority of people going on those types of tours or are they, do they know that it's set up? You know what I mean? Like when they, before I mean, they get into it, like, like when you're booking no. your flight and stuff, you know what I mean? Like they're like, Oh, I just want to uh, have, I don't, a, th- I don't, I mean, I guess that's, I don't
1: think people do.
0: Right. So I mean it's,
1: and I think that's the difference between people who just want to travel and people like, like for me, I'm trying to create, you know, a journalistic story. Like with, with Myanmar, I, I kind of created this 20 minute film and, you know, I had,
0: yeah, so, I want to hear, hear more about that. So
1: I, you know, I had so many photos and we saw so much and it was honestly the best trip experience, nicest people I've ever met in my life. And it, it, to me, I sat on it for a while. Cause I was just like, I, I didn't feel right necessarily sharing all of it without kind of giving my perspective and like really digging more into the research and, and kind of like, you know, I wanted to share about, my thoughts between these fake fishermen and real fishermen and like these set up things. And, mm-hmm. and also with what's going on there, which is like, you know, crazy, not good, you know, genocide with like the Re- Muslim Rohingya getting pushed out and like these, you know, Rohingya oh, like right. really haven't had a country or the, like, they're not really part of anywhere. Cause they've just been kind of like exiled from everywhere. And it's like, it, it's, it's disgusting. And, and I mean, there's, there's bad things happening in lots of countries and, you know, Saudi Arabia and China. And all, I mean, we, we could start talking about the U S if we really wanted to, we're just really good at covering it up, but you know, it's, you know, it, it takes it down a different path. Um, so I, I don't know how deep I want to go into it. Cause I'm not the best person for that. I'm a visual person. And so I want my visuals, but I wanted my visuals to help in a different way. And I, I kind of hired my f-
0: yeah. They're telling a story, and
1: so I hired my friend um, to kind of help me draft this better. And we did a ton of research. I wrote as much as I could. She'd edit and ask a bunch of questions. I'd kind of then like be able to write some more. And then like we drafted. I mean, we had a 15-page Google Doc, <laughs> and of uh, <laughs>
0: <That's> so <awesome. laughs> it's and and
1: that's how long the story is. It, it's a long, long piece. And for me, it's like my most proud piece because it's like a full editorial piece of like my travel there, but also kind of giving my background of like, I mean, we almost didn't go because my friends friends were like giving them a lot of shit for traveling to a country with, you know, genocide going on and like promoting a country. And, you know, my thoughts, Hmm. my thoughts are a little bit more free. I'm like, you know, you can't like, there's tons of locals there that if you didn't support, like not everyone in that country agrees with what's going on and you know you almost have to like introduce all these new cultures to places like this that have been so closed from the outside world that like if you never introduced any new cultures to them they'd kind of stay the same and you kind of have to you know start going there and, and but like you know you got to do you got to do your due diligence and your research before you go and like we made sure we 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 tried to avoid staying at like military owned hotels and tried to avoid you know, a lot of things. And we stayed at like local farmhouses and tried to like, you know, eat at family run restaurants. And, you know, you can't avoid it a hundred percent. It's impossible. But in my mind, Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. my mind, you know, traveling to these places, isn't, it's not support. I'm not supporting the militia. I'm trying to go there and tell a story of, of of the locals living there that, you know, if you didn't support them, they would go into poverty and never be able to come out of it. Then they'd just be stuck at the bottom because, you know, because I mean, it, it would get worse in my mind by not. And, um, and in my mind, tourism will help that because it will help change. You know, maybe the militia will realize, Oh, maybe we can make money on tourism now. Like maybe we need to change. Maybe, you know, like, look at this, like this culture loves, uh, like, you know, like, I mean oh like the rest of the world doesn't like what we're doing you know like you know and then there's like right. a little bit more like I mean there's nothing's perfect and I'm definitely not going to be the person to uh be the voice here and there's definitely people who disagree with me um and it's why I put out the story that I did and I you know I got somebody who responded to is like great video but like I can't believe you're supporting like this country had like, have you read this article? And I was like, have you read my article? I touch on a lot of why. And then he was like, Oh, touche. Like, you know, he didn't
0: actually, <laughs> Oh, yeah, it, it was,
1: it was kind of just like, and that's why I did the story that I did. Cause I wanted to, you know, I had all these pretty pictures, but I, it's not like I documented any of the bad stuff because you don't see any of that. It's all in places that are kind of off limits to tourism's, Um, and, and like, I kind of want to go back and go a little deeper and I like, I'd love to go to the the refugee camps and kind of maybe document the Rohingya like refugees. I mean, there's over a million Mm -hmm. of them in this refugee Mm -hmm. camp and it's, 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 it's honestly heartbreaking um, and disgusting at what, what's going on there. But, you know, I'm not going to be the one to fix it. No way. But I, I can try to like put out some stuff that at least maybe, helps or helps the next person or you know um Mm -hmm.
0: really sheds light on the situation right
1: yeah from a different perspective because right now i think the tourism in Myanmar is like 90 percent chinese and i was actually just talking to one of my guides i just shared my story with them and i asked him how it was going um this past year and he was like not good like it's all chinese tourists and they're all getting free visas and coming on like Pre-structured tours, so they're not actually even using any of the local guides or anything, um, and it's just like a mess. And it's just, and it's, and I follow. I, I probably follow more Myanmar news than U.S. news because it's to me it's more fascinating and just mm-hmm. you know a little bit less just in your face because you know U.S. media is all over the place. All media is, but um, I mean, it's right. tourism is is something. It's it, it's a tough balance and. You know, I I hope Myanmar can maybe structure things a little differently so it doesn't totally ruin it. And it sounds like they're having a lot of trouble kind of controlling that situation because they're literally just opening up to the outside world. I mean, they they didn't get like they just got Internet and like like, they literally skipped the computer and every single person there has a phone. Literally everyone. Right. And it, it, Isn't that wild? <laughs> you, you, you like go to a third world country and every single person had a phone and it was mind blowing. And like, you know, Facebook was another issue there as well. Cause you know, they come, Facebook comes pre-installed on phones there. And so like oh. Facebook is what they call the internet. Like that's the first thing they were introduced. And then, you know, these rebel groups and the militia use Facebook. And so... A lot of the local villages would use that to follow the rebels before they raided their villages and they were able to save oh, themselves. No. And then Facebook actually was trying to, you know, they, they've they been trying to backtrack and fix these issues by getting rid of those military and militia pages. But then the villages were like, wait, like, how do we, like, now we don't know when they're coming. And
0: it, wow. it's,
1: it's the, like I mean, you could read and read and all sorts of stuff, like probably fake stuff and real stuff online on this, on Myanmar. And it's just, it's mind blowing. Um, and
0: hopefully Instagram will flag, flag it as fake.
1: I would hope so.
0: <laughs>
1: but, uh, but it's, I don't, well, I don't know. Yeah, that's cool. It's, it's interesting. So um, if anyone well, wants. We'll definitely.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, we'll definitely put a link to the, to your project. Um, where can people find out more about it?
1: Um, if you just go to, you know, planetunicorn.com, that's kind of my storytelling company. Um cool. I, I know it's a weird name, but uh just planetunicorn.com. No, it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, really easy to remember. And then it will be the first story on there. It's just called Myanmar uh, Beauty and Strife. And uh, it's uh there's also you can find the film on YouTube or Vimeo or if you follow me on Facebook or Instagram, you'll see me pushing that for the yeah. next week. Um, it's definitely my my favorite project to date and probably my most impactful. And I uh, can't wait to go back to that country or another country and kind of create some similar stuff.
0: I mean, that's that's the kind of work that I feel like a lot of people would love to be doing, you know, kind of using your creative skills to, to, to shed light on a story or to you know, provide a different angle on something maybe people weren't aware of before. I think that's, you know, it's meaningful work and it also feels that, you know, creative passion, but also, you know, hopefully will have an impact on people's lives.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, it was more personal work, but I mean, I didn't make any money or I wasn't paid to do any of it. Um, Right. It's, it's most of my work is actually like that. I try to create for myself and sell later um or hope smart, or dude. or hope to well sometimes i feel it's stupid but <laughs> um you know i i like i hope this leads to you know some more projects in this depth of you know journalism and i like i mm-hmm. i mean like a lot of people grow up thinking that they want to i want to be a nat geo photographer i i i really was never one of those people i always just wanted to be myself but you know this like over the years, I've I've got to a point where I was like, yeah, I kind of want to be a Nat Geo photographer. And that's like, but I've also realized that that's getting trickier. And especially with Disney buying them, it's getting even weirder. And, you know, for me, I've always just wanted to be my own journalism. And that's like kind of why I've created my own platform. And I'm trying to kind of go down that path. But um, you know, who knows what it will lead to if, if, if you put everything into it and you put your passion into it, you know, you never know what will come out, but if you don't, you'll never get anything. So at right. the end of the day, you that's why I always tell people, you got to go all in.
0: Go all in. I like it. <laughs> well, cool, man. So who, who would you recommend for people to have here on the podcast?
1: Um, well, I know you've had pretty much every landscape photographer that I would have recommended. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) I, I am, uh, pretty close to, you know, one of my buddies, Jaron Schneider, he's been, you know, writing for these kind of photo sites forever from F stoppers to resource magazine to image resource. And now he's at Petapixel, um, you know, he's kind of been in the probably more technical side of it. Um with uh just kind of he's the one always writing about the newest gear and stuff, so maybe it'd be a little bit more about gear, but um he'd be somebody that would be pretty interesting, and then you know at the same time, my drone pilot that I work with a lot um you know coming from you know he's been in the drone world for ten twelve years, he started with flying kites and cameras, and um, <laughs> that'd be Matthew Lavin with aerography um a-E-R-O, Aerography, and then uh, the uh, you know it'd be cool to actually get some of the nat geo people on, like the Paul Nicklin and the, maybe even the Chris Burkhardt or the you know um, you know people like that would be super fascinating. I mean, Paul Nicklin's probably top of the line, just like you know with his sea legacy and just like saving the planet. Um, right. I think they'd be harder people to get on, but I, super fascinating.
0: Yeah, that would be. That would be awesome for sure. Well, man, this was, this was fun, man.
1: Yeah, no, I'm glad we uh, got to chat. I hope I didn't ramble too much and maybe we should have touched on some other stuff, but. I, I could it's, talk all day.
0: That's kind of the way I am too, which is dangerous for sure. Yeah, well, that's why,
1: that's why you're doing a podcast.
0: I know exactly. It's like, Oh, I just spent an hour and a half talking. Whoops. That's your job. No, been, I know. Well, cool, man. Well, it was, it was awesome having you on and, um, I'm looking forward to seeing kind of what you put out there in the next year.
1: Yeah, thanks. I'm looking forward to seeing all the next people you have on this podcast because it's been, uh, it's been cool to see you kind of come into your own and kind of create this around, you know, everyone can create different things. And I know there's a few others out there, but I think you really, really have been nailing it. And it's been cool to see.
0: Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks to Toby for the absolutely wonderful conversation. I had a blast, man. If you get a chance, check out his latest video project showcasing his time in Myanmar. It's absolutely stunning work. All right, well, thank you to our amazing supporters over on Patreon for helping to keep the show alive. I literally can't do the show without your support, so thank you so much. All right, well, let's talk about who's coming up next. So next up, we have Nikki Rausch. She is a sales coach, and uh, we recorded... Uh, yesterday, and it was so much fun, and you guys are going to learn so much. It was awesome. We also have Brenda Tharp. She is a photographer from Sonoma County, California. Uh, We have Mei Zhu, a photographer from Colorado with some absolutely stunning work. And also we have Christian Fletcher, a photographer from Australia. All right. Well, just a quick reminder, if you've always wanted to try out Luminosity Masks, I highly recommend that you try out ArcPanel. It's intuitive, easy, and fast. Just head over to that's A-V-E-R-I-N.photo. Or if you want a free copy of ArcPanel from Anton, just uh, shoot me a message on Instagram. I've got a couple left. All right, well, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. We'll see you next week.